0: Welcome to the Actively Fueled Podcast. I am your host, Brooke Sarnecki, and I am just so excited that you are here with me and joining me for all of these super powerful conversations that we are going to have on the podcast. So, if you don't know who I am already, I am a registered dietitian, I am a specialist in sports nutrition and also disordered eating and eating disorders. So a lot of my practice is all about helping individuals not only optimize their nutrition for performance in their sports, I work with a ton of athletes, mostly endurance athletes, lots of runners. I also help these individuals improve their relationship with food. And I, again, I'm just so excited to have you here have these conversations, and really just start a movement in the athletic community that is more about taking care of ourselves rather than this hustle culture and this burnout culture. So without further ado, let's get started on the pod. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Actively Fueled. Today, I have Elizabeth Scott on from Running Explained. And it's going to be a great conversation all about overtraining and burnout with runners and how to prevent that in your training. So, thank you, Elizabeth, for coming on the show. And please introduce yourself to all of us.
1: Thanks for having me, Brooke. I'm excited to be here. So, hi, everyone. My name's Elizabeth. I am the founder, head coach, kind of the face behind Running Explained. Uh, I am a certified run coach. I've been coaching for about three years. And my mission as a coach is to help people just become better, smarter, and maybe faster runners by learning the principles of training, how to get in touch with your actual, like what your body's trying to tell you and be in this for the long haul. I love
0: it. I love it so much. And tell us how you like got into run coaching and just the journey of running explained, because it's been like quite a journey
1: for you. It has. And so I started, I I say that like I fell backwards into being a coach. So when I started running and my whole origin story, I've talked about, um, on a couple other podcasts before, but I didn't start running until I was 29. Um, I started running after I'd quit drinking. So I was like, cool, not drinking anymore probably got to do something that's healthy. And I did start running with the goal of intentionally losing weight. And I just totally fell in love with the sport. And within six months, do not do this children do within six months of starting running. I had run a 5k, a 10k a half marathon and a full marathon. Oh uh, all, yeah. Which was like a crash course, literally a crash course, um, into like, Oh, distance running. What's this all about? And so obviously there's a lot that, you know, I, I feel like I managed to do mostly right. There was a whole bunch that I did wrong and it took me about another, I would say year to figure out like, Oh, hold up here. Uh, there's actually a reason behind why we do things in a certain way and what actually is easy running and how should we structure our training cycles. And, and so when I really started becoming a student of the sport, um, it just opened up this entire, this whole world to me that all these questions that I had, had actual answers. And they sometimes have really complicated answers. And I like things that are complicated sometimes. Um, So when I, you know, was like, okay, I, I'm learning all this stuff now. And I was in this Instagram, you know, running world, run Instagram, looking around going, nobody seems to be running their easy days easier. Like nobody seems to know what that is, or, you know, nobody's, you know, understanding how to periodize your training and nobody's taking rest days after their marathon, like all these things. And I was like, this is really low hanging fruit. You guys like there's really simple changes you can make to your training that will help you get to where you're trying to go. And so I just started posting about like, Hey, running explained, like you don't wear cotton socks, slow down or easy runs, like really basic information. Like when I first started running explained, I really just wanted to talk to runners like myself who came into the sport and had like, no, like I had no understanding of what the heck I was doing. I was like, dove headfirst into it and be like, I don't want you to make these same mistakes. So here's what I've learned. And then. Um, and I started, and I got a coaching certification. I started like, you know, totally immersing myself in the sport. And then people started asking me to coach them. And I was like, I don't coach like, no, no, no. Like, I thank you for thinking of me, but like, I don't, I don't coach athletes. Like I'm just here to educate people. And it was totally a part-time not even a part-time gig. Like I had a full-time job. This was like an Instagram hobby. And then I got more inquiries. And some of them, my one of my best friends asked me to train her for a half marathon. I was like, Ashley, I don't coach. And she's like, Ooh are you talking about? Like, of course you do like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. So I wrote her a training plan, my first training plan ever. And then I was like, Oh, okay. I can totally do this. And so I started offering training plans. I started taking on athletes and then it really just snowballed from there.
0: That is so cool. And I, I also love hearing different runners journeys, because I think sometimes like runners pinhole themselves and like, oh, I'm not a real runner. Cause I didn't start until like later in life. And, you know, I can't ever identify as a real runner. And it's like, you are like, if you run and you love the sport, like you totally are. And also <laughs> I didn't know about your story that in the first six months of running, you had like done all of the things. So I feel like this conversation is so pertinent to like the beginning of your journey. And I feel like a lot of the beginning of a lot of other runners journeys where they instantly fall in love with the sport. And then they see all of these like really awesome results really soon because they're, you know, picking up something new. And then maybe they hit this like crash and burn point where they're like, Oh my gosh, like what happened? This is something that I love. And now I'm just like, totally like burned out. So can you explain like, what, what is overtraining or like, what is burnout and running?
1: Yeah, and that's a really good point. That is that is kind of what happened to me. And my big reset was about eighteen months after I started running. And I'd run, like I said, in the first six months, I ran these, you know, first the first four races I'd ever run in my entire life for these four distances. And then, like you said, you know, you see this immediate success. You see, like, oh my god, like, oh my, I'm getting faster. Like, I can do all these things that seemed unthinkable just a few months ago. And so you start wanting more and more and more, and We don't quite realize that this initial I want to call like a honeymoon phase, but it doesn't last forever. Right. You can't expect. So I'll give you an example. Um, Between my my, I ran my first half marathon in December, and I ran my second half marathon in April. Right, so what four five months apart? Mm -hmm. In between those two races, I dropped eleven minutes off my half marathon time. Wow! Like I went from I went from like a one fifty six to like a one forty was a one fifty six and changed like a one forty high one forty five. Never in my life will I ever make. I think it's like t- it was like a ten percent improvement. Yeah. Never again will I make a ten percent improvement in five months at a single race distance. That's crazy. It's highly <laughs> unlikely. But I thought that's what I. Wa- I was like, oh, cool. So the next half marathon I run, I'm going to run a one thirty six. I'm going to uh-huh. run a one twenty, and it's like that's not how it works, right? So we we we. Ex- the first thing I think the first. um, I want to say it like a. the the first thing that trips you up as a runner and unfortunately can lead you down this path of burnout or overtraining or overdoing it is that you expect that the, what you've seen, the results you've seen so far are going to continue. And you just have to keep training harder and keep training more. And that's, that's all, then you're going to just get to get faster. And it's just going to be as simple as that. Um, But when the best things that runners can understand about their training is that we're not chasing short-term results. We're chasing long-term success. And when we're doing things for a short-term, like expectation of, oh, I'm going to make huge progress every single training cycle that I do. And I'm not going to take breaks between them. And I am going to sign up for every race that crosses my calendar. And I am going to go after the most aggressive training possible. You are setting yourself up for a pretty, pretty big crack. And burn whether it happens in 3 months, 6 months or 12 months or even 18 months uh it's a real it's you're playing with fire. <laughs> and that's really what happened to me um in that you know like I said 18 months after I started running I basically hit this period of burnout where I barely ran for like 4 or 5 months and then I that was like my my inflection point. Like then I learned about easy running and I was like, oh wait, you mean I shouldn't have been running in like high zone three for my quote unquote easy runs this whole time? You mean it's not normal to like vomit because you're so dehydrated after a 14 mile long run? Like, what do you mean? I I thought so everybody did. Um, and so you know, the things that we think that like again these like simple fixes that can help p- us prevent burnout prevent overtraining or m- reduce the risk significantly are these just like foundational principles of how you should be training but i think mm-hmm. we want to talk about like what it looks like to be in a place of burnout or overtraining or how to know if you're doing too much that kind of thing
0: yeah no and i think that was a great introduction to it because again i f- i find this a lot with like the Um, a lot of, a lot of runners, like we're always trying to go out and go hard every single time. And that is just not sustainable. You can do it for a while. Um, and then after a while, it's like, Oh, the body's like, Nope, we're not doing this anymore. So yeah. What are some of those like hallmark symptoms that you see, like maybe with your athletes or even within yourself, what are like those hallmark symptoms of like truly overtraining?
1: Yeah. So I think it's important that we kind of define what we're talking about here. And so you know at the at the basic, the core of it, whatever you want to call it, overtraining or under-recovery or yep. low energy availability or combination thereof is essentially an imbalance of how much you're putting out and how much you're getting back, right? How much you're expending and how much you're recovering or taking it. And that can literally be from a fueling perspective, right? Mm-hmm. If you are underfueling relative to your output eventually that's going to be a problem like a real physical hormonal psychological all sorts of problems um, there can be you know your the i talk about like kind of having a, a a total tolerance for stress talking about allostatic load right the accumulative effect that all the things that happen in your life have on you and you, we all have a, a kind of a a, a threshold for how yep. much we can tolerate and if you have a whole bunch going on in one area of your life, then you have less to give to training. But if you train at the same volume, you're essentially overtaxing yourself. You're giving more than you're putting back in. And we do this for long enough, it becomes a real actual problem. Interestingly enough, I have found that one of the first signs of burnout is a lack of motivation and dread when it comes to training. So assuming that an athlete is training properly, they're taking their easy days, easy. They are running in the appropriate intensity zones on their workout days that they're, you know, that they are, they think they're fueling correctly. Like all these things is that, um, this kind of sense of like. I just, I don't know. I don't want to go for a run today, but not like we all have those days, right? We all have those days. Where we're like, Oh, I don't want to go for a run today, but that it's, it's more often than not. And it tends to be around longer runs. It tends to be around workouts. And then eventually it's just not getting better. And you kind of force yourself through it. And then you're like, but I really, like, I would literally rather do anything else than go for a run. Like getting to that point of like dread and burnout is typically accompanied by you're not really feeling great on your runs. Right. Nothing necessarily. It's not like it's wrong. You're not injured. You're just like, I don't know. Sometimes just doesn't feel great. And so if we can catch it here, that is a great, really want to catch it as early as possible and back off. Unfortunately, what a lot of people do when they're in this early stage of burnout or under recovery or overtraining, whatever you want to call it is they double down and they say something, you know what? I can't believe I've been so lazy. My motivation has been so lacking. I I've been feeling bad on my runs. I'm just going to train more and train harder. And that's like the last thing you want to do paradoxically when you are in this place of like, Oh, you think you should be pushing more. You probably need to actually back off and figure out if you're okay to continue or not.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And I I love that you snuck the word in there, that the lazy, because I think a lot of us get stuck in this trap of like, if I don't feel good, I must be doing something wrong. I must not be working hard enough and I'm lazy. And then we like get in this like guilt and shame cycle. And it's just this like nasty, like, you know, it just doesn't make us feel good. And so when you say we need to start just like slowing down or, you know, rethink our training or like maybe reframe our goals, what are some examples of that?
1: Yeah. So first it's important to look at what, what phase of training you're currently in and what you're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes, and I'm, look, I understand that some people are going to push back on this and say, no, discipline is important. And it's really important that we push through no matter what. And like David Goggins, blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, whatever. (laughs) This is not that this is not the side of the internet for that. This is not, this (laughs) is not the corner of the internet that we hang out in right. Um, In that, it's really important um, to understand what phase of training that you're currently in and, you know, how to manipulate that. So unfortunately, you know, if you've left this too late (laughs) and you're five weeks out from a huge race and you can barely summon the motivation to go get outside and go for a run, and things are feeling badly. And maybe other things are like maybe you're not sleeping well. Maybe your bowel movements are not the way they used to be. Maybe your menstrual cycles are regular, like all these actual other mm-hmm. physical symptoms. Maybe like you might be in a place where hard, hard, blunt truth, you may need to just like sit out of this race entirely and take time off from training because something is seriously wrong.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We don't want to, we don't want to get to that place. Like I said, we want to catch it early. For a lot of people, like I said, that paradoxically backing off just a little bit, allowing yourself to recover, assuming you haven't been um, undermining your body for months and years, which unfortunately a lot of athletes do, you probably can't get back to a place that's relatively normal in a couple months if you just do a little bit less and recover a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So maybe this looks like you know reducing the frequency of how much you're running. If you're running five days a week, maybe it goes to four, right? If you are currently doing... You know, if you have workouts in your schedule, maybe you're doing five total runs and you have two workouts and three easy days, maybe you drop a workout and just do that easy. Or maybe you do all of your workouts easy, right? We might do that and drop a day. Um, And then the other stuff, it's not just about training less, it's about supporting your recovery. Are you sleeping enough? Can you sleep more? Are you actually eating enough? Do you know what that actually looks like? How is this stress in the rest of your life? I see a lot of athletes go through pretty big, I want to say life traumas, you know, sickness, death of a loved one, you know, child's having a really hard time in school. Maybe their spouse lost their job, like huge emotional life events. And the athlete says, well, I need to run because it's my coping mechanism. Like I'll just run more mm-hmm. uh, to get through this. And you don't quite realize how much of an, an, an actual impact that l- stressful life event has on you as a person. And if you just continue to run 50 miles a week, like normal through it, except all this other stuff is also happening in your life. That's not going to lead to good long-term outcomes. Um, so yeah, it really depends on like where you are and what you're trying to accomplish and what your training currently looks like, but there are ways to reduce your training that don't look like not running at all. If, if a qualified professional says to you, Hey, you, we really just need to have you take some time off from running it's probably because something is seriously wrong. Like I would never tell an athlete they need to stop running unless it was genuinely, genuinely required. And probably that advice would be provided in conjunction with some of their medical team as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So the goal is not to get you to stop running. The goal is to get you to feel better and maybe doing a little bit less in the short term will help you feel better in the long term.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so you know, I know we're talking about like, if, if we're in the middle of a training cycle, but it also brought to my forefront of my mind, like this concept of giving yourself off seasons and maybe seasons where you are not constantly training for something or looking to, you know, PR or whatever it is, whatever it might be. Um, a lot of us have a a hard time with that. So like, what is, what is your opinion on, Giving yourself those off seasons to help combat
1: or maybe prevent overtraining from happening later on. It's really important that you match how much hard stuff you're doing with enough recovery. And so it's actually funny. I'm putting together um, like a masterclass on periodization, like planning or training years. And it's, I talk about this and basically that we can zoom in and we can zoom out. And the pattern of what we're trying to accomplish looks the same is that if we have something hard, we have a stressor, we have a thing that's challenging for us. It needs to be matched with recovery in order for us to actually adapt and grow. And this looks like an individual run matched by the recovery you received from that night of sleep, or you do a workout and the next day it's a rest day or an e-recovery run, right? Hard effort, matched with recovery, boom, we adapt. We can look at this on a mesocycle phase. So like a four week training uh, phase where you have three weeks where you build, and then you take a down week, a cutback week, same with your training cycles. You have this whole training cycle where you're training for a race after the race. Guess what? You need a recovery period. Mm-hmm. And then if you have multiple cycles in a row where you're kind of like call it cycle hopping, right? Maybe you train for half marathon, took two weeks off and then dove right into marathon training and that like then maybe you need something bigger, an off season, a time where you're not chasing any, you're not doing workouts. Maybe you're not logging your miles as like, you know, to the dot something decimal Uh point. It is a time for you to not only physically, but emotionally and mentally recharge. And uh, for people who've come up through the system running in school, you had a built-in off-season called summer. <laughs> <laughs> so if you ran, if you ran track and you ran cross-country, you would run cross-country, then you do inter-track, then you do outer-track, and then you have an off-season, right? Um, you'd have the summer and technically it'd be base-building, but it's a season off from competing, from training to compete. And as adults, we don't get that. We we have this idea that we just need to be training for a race all the time, and that's just not how our bodies like to work.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I want to add something onto here too, because I think a lot of, a lot of us struggle with this also is like, well, they feel like they need to be working towards something constantly. You're like, I need to be working towards the race, or I feel like I'm not disciplined or I'm not late or like I'm lazy. And so I always like to say to my athletes, like, let's reframe what we're trying to accomplish here, because you are working towards a goal. You can still have a goal of my goal right now is recovery. My goal right now is not to run a race in 16 weeks or 20 weeks or whatever it is. Um, and so that can be a huge reframe for those athletes that maybe struggle with this concept of just like slowing down a little bit, taking a breather and letting the body recover so that you can come back stronger. And I think that that is also something we always have to keep in the back of our our minds too, is the long haul. You said that the very beginning of the episode, um, and how if you want to do this for years and years and years, you have to have those cutbacks in order to come back stronger than you did before. Um, any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. And I coupled with this, I want to say fear or uh of fear of taking recovery periods, fear of taking time off. And I hear this a lot from runners, like, oh, I need to have a race on my calendar to keep me motivated. Mm-hmm. Like, well, if you if you if you organize your training correctly, each phase of your training has a purpose that moves you forward. It just might not be race specific, right? So base building moves you forward towards your goals, recovery periods, move you forward towards your goals. Typically what I see with athletes who have a real anxiety around taking a real, real recovery is they're so afraid of losing fitness. Oh, I don't, I can't take time off. I'm going to lose fitness after my race. You're telling me I can't run for at least a week after my marathon. I'm going to lose so much fitness fitness isn't something that you can misplace, right? It's not your car keys, right? Mm -hmm. It's not like, "Uh uh-oh, where'd my fitness go? All of a sudden, I'm not, you know, (laughs) fitness, it's not, it doesn't go away if you don't run. If actually you can run, you can miss up to a week of training with like almost no measurable changes at all to your fitness. Now, if you sat on the couch for six weeks, yes, you would eventually detrain slightly, but we cannot keep ourselves in peak condition year round. That's the reason it's called peak, right? So we want to peak at very specific times during our training for specific events. The rest of the time, what we're doing is we're either in our base phase of fitness, or we are building towards our peak. Um, it was a, it's a great quote. I forget who said this. It was like Steve Magnus or another running coach, something about, you know, focus on raising your floor, not just your ceiling, right? Mm-hmm. So if if we're reframing you know, what we call our walking around fitness, like on any given week, what could I comfortably go do? And for some people that co- might be running 10 to 12 miles for some people that may be comfortably running 45 to 50 miles, right? What's your base focus on that rather than comparing what you're running today versus what you ran in that half marathon six months ago, right? Be like, Oh my gosh. And I hear it again. It's not, it's not about keeping yourself in peak condition all the time. You have to lose a little bit of fitness through the recovery process, but don't be afraid of this big, bad. Like if I take a day off, I'm going to lose my fitness. That's just simply not how your body works.
0: hundred percent. And I, I see this a lot with athletes that come back from injuries too. Like they come back from injury and they're like, they say that they're starting from ground zero. And I'm like, let's take, no, you're not starting from ground zero. You have all of this training behind you. You have all of this training under your legs. You're never starting from ground zero, even though there may be times where you really feel like you are, your body remembers, your body has that experience. And so it's never starting from zero, you're always like, like you said, like the raising the floor. I think that's a great analogy, um, that a lot of us again, need to need that reminder that like, in order for you to continue to grow, to continue to feel strong, even just like, again, have that longevity, the consistency in sport, we've got to take that, you know, the times of, of recovery, the times of rest. And I, (laughs) I really want to touch on this, this important topic today too, because I think it ties really well into the topic of overtraining um, the slowing down, slowing down your, your runs to the point where you feel like in the zone. So let's talk about like the zone training for a minute. And then like what running slow truly means. I think a lot of us struggle with this.
1: Yeah. So, um, like, I, (laughs) I don't know if this is still might be in my bio, but like I, for a (laughs) while, my bio was like, Elizabeth Scott is on a mission to get people to slow down on their easy days. (laughs) Like That was the whole, (laughs) I'm like, I genuinely don't care about almost anything else that you do as long as you're running truly easy on your easy days. So why why is it important and, and what does it actually mean? So broadly speaking, we're going to simplify the intensity you can run at, but into three zones, high intensity, moderate intensity, and low intensity. And I think low intensity and easy effort running, the way that we talk about describing those things, low intensity, easy. We have to remember that running is still hard. Like running in your easy zone will always be harder than a walk, right? So we are, we have to kind of keep in mind what we're dealing with in the spectrum of intensity. It's still running and running is still hard, but we have, uh, so we talk about these three simplify it into three zones, right? So we want to spend a whole lot of time as endurance athletes in our easy effort zone. So this is a zone that's below your aerobic threshold. If you have seen it, I know people are talking about zone two, right? So that means in a five zone heart rate model, you are spending time in zone two or one and two. A lot of people can't run in zone one. They can't. They can't run that slowly and keep their heart rate that low, Uh, but still really focusing on zone two. This is your aerobic development zone. This is where the endurance is built. This is where you get to spend a significant amount of time on your feet, building aerobic capacity, uh, which is a fancy way of saying building your endurance and ability to create energy aerobically and also strengthen your bones, ligaments, tendons, and muscles in order to essentially become more efficient as a runner and run for longer for more overall in general, right? So talking about raising the floor, having a really strong aerobic capacity raises your floor. It makes everything else above it faster. That's why we can do a whole bunch of work in our easy effort zone and only do a little bit of speed work, a little bit of race-specific work, and still then go crush it on race day. A whole lot of times, recreational runners like you and me spend a lot of time in that moderate intensity zone, unintentionally or intentionally, right? So unintentionally, it's that runners think that they're running in their easy zone, but they're not. They're not running slow enough. And this is usually because of something called intensity blindness in that they know what running really hard feels like, and they know what running hard feels like. So when they run less than hard, they assume it's easy, when it's not, it's actually, you haven't, you haven't actually gone all the way down the spectrum to find out what easy is. So we end with this place called the gray zone or zone three plateau. Now uh, zone three in the fives and heart rate model, this moderate intensity zone is not a bad zone. There are huge benefits to be found in this training zone. This is where you're going to race most of your marathons and your half marathons. And, uh, you know, up to probably a lot of 10 K runners. If you're a one hour, 10 K runner, That's about one hour race pace is your lactate threshold. That's the top of your moderate intensity zone, right? So any race that you race between, you know, a one hour and maybe a four hour is going to be in this moderate intensity zone. It's a very important zone, but only when you spend the proper amount of time there and, if you're there instead of in your easy zone on easy days, that's a problem. And then of course, the final zone, the highest zone, the third zone is really high intensity stuff, right? So race paces that are faster than our one hour race pace. So it's going to be, you know, if you're faster than a, a one hour, 10 K runner, five K right? VO two max, really high intensity work. You can't spend a whole lot of time here. Cause this is not a zone that you can do. You can't run in zone in this zone for three hours. Right. Um, so if you're, if you are finding yourself in your running, spending a whole lot of time in that moderate and high intensity zone, and you are also simultaneously wondering why you are struggling to increase your volume, why you're not seeming to get faster why you kind of feel sore and tired all the time and why you're plateauing in races, it's because you're not actually spending time in the zones that really matter, easy effort zones, the majority of your days, crash course.
0: Thank you for explaining that. It was so beautifully said. I am a runner since I struggle with the gray zone. I I learned this on my last training cycle, my first training cycle, post-collegiate athletics. And I was like, wow, my entire like college career in the gray zone. In the gray zone, because I was competitive with my teammates on those easy days where we were supposed to be running easy, but we had constantly push the pace. And then when I got out of college, I was like, well, I'm just gonna start running easy and still struggle with that gray zone. And I remember distinctly, like I would go for runs with my dad during college. And he was definitely like at that time significantly slower than me because of my training in, in athletics. And I would run with him and I would finish the run and I would feel like I could keep going. Like that was, that was really easy. And so I look back on that and it's like, I need more runs like that. And so how, how do you get runners to slow down or maybe what are some, like, um, what are some, uh, my gosh, my words are just like totally gone. What are some (laughs) symptoms of knowing that you have finished your run in that easy zone versus the gray zone?
1: Yeah. This is a huge, I say, even for runners who intellectually get it, you know, they're like, all right, i I've I read the science, you've explained it to me, like, I understand it. I get that I need to do this, but- it just doesn't feel like I'm accomplishing anything when I go on these slow runs, right? So, the the one of the very first uh, ways to make sure to know you're on an easy effort run is what you just described at the end of the run. Could you have keep kept going? Like maybe for a while, you know, if you're running five miles, at, you easily could have run seven, maybe eight, right? Or if you're supposed to run three, you easily could have continued to go for. And I think that's one a weird thing when you're used to running everything in this moderate, even a harder zone is that when your easy effort runs, they just kind of end. <laughs> like You just mm-hmm. like slow down and stop and there's no like huffing and puffing or heavy breathing like yeah you're sweaty but it just it's kind of over. Um another way to figure out if you're in your easy zone is are you can you have a full conversation? Because that tells us that you're below it's called your vent first ventilatory threshold. So I mentioned before your lactate threshold, I mentioned your aerobic threshold. So in this three zone model, our the top of our first zone is really bounded by a big a big physiological threshold and a bunch of different things happen at this threshold. It's your first lactate threshold, the point at which your lactate begins to rise. It's your first ventilatory threshold, the point at which your breathing rate and oxygen demands start to increase because the faster that we run, the more energy we need to create in order to you know, run forward. Um, it's also your aerobic threshold, the point at which you go from burning uh, majority fatty acids and also carbohydrates aerobically to having some um, carbohydrate burned, more carbohydrate burned, um, anaerobically. Mm-hmm. So that all these things are happening at this one very specific threshold. So it kind of depends on like, what are you? And it's also, it can be a heart rate expressed in a, a percentage of your maximum heart rate. So it's like, well, which, which, um, measure or metric do you want to pay attention to? Right. Breathing. Right. So if you can full, hold a full conversation or like belt out the chorus of a ballad while you're on a run, <laughs> you're in your easy zone. You could not do that. You would not have enough, um, available, oxygen, essentially your body would force you to take more breaths. If you were running in a higher intensity zone, even that low zone, uh, in moderate zone, um, if you use heart rate, typically, although your aerobic threshold is a trainable attribute, which I know is a little bit confusing for some people that over time you can move it, change it, make it Mm -hmm. a little bit higher. I typically advise that your aerobic threshold is going to be around 75% of your maximum heart rate. If you had a VO2 max test done in the lab, it makes you something different. Go with that, right? This is just like ballparking. Ventilatory threshold, right? Uh, Heart rate threshold. Um, And then, yeah, does it feel easy? Could you keep doing it forever? And then the most important thing is that you embrace the easy. It's not about pace. It has nothing to do with pace. And you may find yourself running much, 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 much slower on your easy days than you would ever run in a race or in a workout. But the point of an easy effort run is not to run a specific pace is to spend a certain amount of time in a specific intensity zone. That's it. It doesn't matter how slow you need to go. Such a good point because I, my next question to you
0: was going to be, well, is there a specific pace? Like if, you know, my race pace is seven minutes per mile is my easy day. Like, nine or 10 minutes per mile. And you just explained it that, no, it doesn't matter. It's more of an effort. And so does that mean that some days your easy pace will be different than your easy pace on a different day?
1: Yes, absolutely. And you have to forget, you can't forget that your effort is always going to be impacted by How rested you are, if you're fueled, if you're dehydrated, if it's hot out, if it's windy, if you're running up a hill, like all these things. But yes, your easy pace can change from day to day uh, and likely will sometimes significantly, especially if you are extra fatigued, right? So the recovery run the day after a workout would be a lot slower than a quote unquote normal easy effort run under typical conditions. Broadly speaking, if we're talking about speed limits, like run no faster than. I don't necessarily like to express that in a uh um race pace way because you know you have a three-hour marathoner and a six-hour marathoner. Are we mm. gonna tell both those people that their easy effort pace is X minutes per mile slower than race pace? No, because they're running their own races in totally different zones, right? But mm. what we can I've reference lactate threshold, your one hour race pace, race effort physiological zone. Roughly, I would recommend that you put a hard speed limit on yourself, that on your easy effort days, you should be running no faster than one and a half to two minutes slower than your lactate threshold pace. Okay. So if you're, la- so if you're, let's say a one hour, 10 K runner, whatever it is, thirty nine 939 pace, mm-hmm. right? That would mean that your easy days should be at least, what is it? 10, 11, 11, 15, maybe 1130, 1145, at least. And probably mm-hmm. slower on most days. Um, that seems to be a a reasonable kind of like no faster than, but like I said, most days you're going to be running much slower than that, depending on a whole bunch of factors. Uh, for me personally, I'm, uh, tapering for a marathon right now, but in the late stages of my marathon, you know, I had some easy runs that were, I would say probably about within 90 seconds of my current lactate threshold pace. And then I had some easy runs that were like five minutes slower than that. so, yeah, it really doesn't matter as long as you're in the right effort zone. Okay. I love it. I love all these like just in-depth explanations and they just, they're
0: making a lot of sense. Um, and so <laughs> a lot of runners need to hear this, but like you have to run slower to get faster and it can be such a difficult concept because we'll have a really slow run and we're like, but there's no way that this is making me faster. Like, what do, what do you say to that?
1: It's important to remember that what you're doing is building skills and building systems, right? So when you go on an easy effort run, you are practicing and building a very specific set of skills and adaptations um, that in the context of all the things that you're doing in your training over time are going to build the fitness that you are trying to express on race day. (laughs) And if we think about it, whatever analogy you want, putting together a, a cake or building nachos, right? Like we can't have a cake made entirely out of frosting, right? We need cake layers, we need a base, right? And then eventually we'll put on some fancy decoration. But like the the actual meat of the, th- the whole thing, like the base of your training as a, as an endurance runner is going to be this easy effort aerobic running not just because of these explicit benefits that those sessions confer on you as an athlete, but because one of the best things you can do as an endurance athlete is to run consistently over time in reasonably high volume. High volume is relative depending on who you are. But you know, if you running easy most of your days allows you to then get the volume and frequency that you need over time to make the changes that you're trying to make. So it does a couple things. I love it. And you know just to tie it back
0: into our overarching conversation of overtraining how how does easy running and you've probably already answered this but how does easy running and making sure that we're in that like easy zone not the gray zone how does that help us prevent overtraining and burnout
1: yeah cuz again it goes back to if overtraining burnout is essentially you're you're expending more then you're bringing in, right. Think of it as a way like you're in debt, <laughs> except yes. the debt is energy and long-term, like just sucking the life force out of you. That's not where we want to be is that back to the easy effort running is talked about those intensity zones, right? So each intensity zone has a different cost. And if I run for 20 minutes in my easy effort zone, that is a lot less demanding on my body than running at 20 minutes at my lactate threshold, right? Um, So they're both 20-minute runs, but they're entirely different things. And one of the things that I see runners really screw up um, when it comes to being on the road to burnout is simply mismanaging their training load. And this is a fancy way of saying doing too much. Mm -hmm. And we have to remember that each run costs us a certain amount and not all runs are equivalent, but you can't, <laughs> here's something I also see. I didn't have time to do my 60 minute easy run. So I did a 30 minute hard run instead. Those are <laughs> not the same thing. And in fact, I guarantee you that shorter, higher intensity run actually was m- more demanding on your body than a totally. 60 minute easy run. Right. So understanding, you know, that the different intensities of your runs not only have purposes physiologically but cost different things to your body right and if we are if we are accruing huge costs to our body every single day you either have to have an unbelievable recovery system in place which the vast majority of runners barely have an adequate one in place we need to be some sort of like superhuman undiscovered genetic marvel that we don't know about. Um, we're going to need to make some changes because that's not sustainable in the long term. Yeah. Amazing. So
0: as we wrap up our, our conversation here, what are your big overarching messages for runners out there when it comes to overtraining, when it comes to
1: burnout? What do you, what do you say? Every runner is probably going to experience this at least once, unfortunately. Like I said, what we want to do is catch it early. And I know it's really, really easy in today's world to look at what you're doing and look what other people are doing and say, well, why shouldn't I be doing that? Or I should be doing that? Or why can't I do that? And I really want you to understand that it does not matter what anybody else is doing. I don't care if your best friend ran a marathon and then ran 20 miles the next weekend, right? They're not you. If you are not recovering and supporting your training and managing your own training load effectively for you personally, nothing else matters. Uh, the best way that we can really understand if we're you know, making sure we're taking those easy days, really, truly, honestly, easy effort. I do not care how slow you need to go. And if you need to walk, that's 100% okay as well. And I know this is Obviously nutrition, we haven't even talked about nutrition because I'm assuming, obviously it's not my area. You <laughs> need to make sure you're eating enough. You need to make sure you're eating up before your runs, after your runs, during your runs if necessary, under fueling over, over, um, I gonna say overtraining, running too fast on easy days, not eating enough in general and having very poor life stress management. Those three things are going to take you down way faster than anything else. Yep.
0: Yep, I see that in my experience as well, just from the dietitian standpoint, the nutrition standpoint. Um, I know we see a lot of overlap of the same things. So I love that the way you said that was beautifully said. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. And where can Runners find you if they don't already know who you are.
1: <laughs> yes, thank you for having me. I'm always happy to talk about how important easy running is and convince a couple <laughs> more people to actually slow down. Um, Yes, so running explained. I have a podcast, the Running Explained podcast. New episodes come out every Thursday on Instagram at Running Explained. Uh, I have a ton of resource, free resources, free education on my Instagram. I and mean, if you want more than free from just the podcast and Instagram also offer group training, training plans, one-on-one run coaching, all the usual stuff to help you become a better runner.
0: Yes. Like Elizabeth's Instagram is so good. Running explained is the best. Um, so if you don't follow them already, follow them and thank you so much again. Um, I know that this will bring a lot of value to the runners out there. And I just want to say, just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But, um, so, well, I I'm just like having trouble wrapping this up for some reason. (laughs) But thank you, Elizabeth, for coming on the show and we will see you in the next episode. Bye guys. Thank you for tuning into today's episode. If you enjoyed it as much as I did, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast, wherever you're listening to, to help us reach more people. So the more reviews and the more ratings we receive, the more that our podcast is going to get pushed out to the masses and reach people like you. So I'd really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review uh, to just help spread our message. So thank you so much again for tuning in and I'll see you in the next episode.